Chapter Four of Through Glacier Park Sing America First with Howard Eaton by Mary Roberts Reinhardt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four All in the Game. Day after day we progressed. There were bright days and days when we rode through a steady mist of rain. Always it was worth while. What matters a little rain when there is a yellow slicker to put on and no one to care how one looks? Once, riding down a mountainside, water pouring over the rim of my old felt hat and pattering merrily on my slicker, I looked to one side to see a great grizzly raise himself from behind a tree trunk, and, standing upright, watch impassively as my horse and I proceeded. I watched him as far as I could see him. We were mutually interested. The party had gone on ahead. For a long time afterward I heard the crackling of small twigs in the heavy woods beside the trail but I never saw him again. It is strange to remember how little animal life, after all, there seemed to be. There was plenty, of course, but our party was large. We had no chance to creep up silently on the wildlife of the park. The vegetation was so luxuriant in the valleys. Beyond an occasional bear, once or twice the screaming of a mountain lion, and the gophers and marmots, we saw nothing. There were not many birds. We never saw a snake. It was too high. One day, riding along a narrow trail on a mountainside, the horse in front of mine stampeded, and for a moment it looked like serious trouble. For a stampeding horse on a two-foot trail is a dangerous thing. It developed that there was a wasp's nest there, and the horse had been stung. We all got by finally, by lashing our horses and running past at a canter. Another time, working slowly up a mountainside, I told the chief ranger of the park of having seen many western horses at the front in France. "'Do you remember any of the brands?' he asked. I did. A diamond Z, a flank brand on a black horse in Ypres. "'That's curious,' he commented. "'That man just ahead of us has shipped a carload of Montana horses to the front, and I believe that is his brand.' We called to the man ahead, and he halted. Up we rode and demanded his brand. It was the Diamond Z. To be quite certain, he showed it to me registered in his notebook. So there, where we could see out over what seemed unlimited space, where the earth appeared a vast thing, we decided that, after all, it was a small place, the Rocky Mountains and Ypres. Having risen at five, by eleven o'clock thoughts of luncheon were always obtrusive. People began stealthily to consult watches and look ahead for a shady place to stop. By half-past eleven we were generally dismounted in some grove, and the pack-train was coming up with its clattering pans, its coffee-pot, its cold-boiled ham. Howard Eaton always made the coffee. It was good coffee. Apparently nobody ever thought of tea. In the outdoors it is coffee, strong coffee, as hot as possible, that one craves. There was one young woman in the party to whom things were always happening, not by her own fault. If there was a platter of meat to be dropped, it fell in her lap. And so I remember that one day, the coffee having been made at a luncheon stop, the handle came off of the coffee pot, and this same young woman had an uncomfortable baptism. But it was all in the game. Hot coffee, marmalade, bread and butter, cheese, sardines, and the best ham in the world. That was luncheon. Often there was a waterfall near. 
where, for the mere holding out of a cup, there was ice-water to drink. The horses were not unsaddled at these noonday stops, but having climbed hard all morning, they were glad to stand in the shade and rest. Sometimes we lunched on a ledge where all the kingdoms of the earth seemed spread out before us. We sprawled on rocks, on green banks, and relaxed muscles that were weary with much climbing. There was much talk of a desultory sort. We settled many problems, but without rancor. The war was far away. Here were peace and a great contentment, food and a grassy bank, and overhead the trail called us to new vistas, new effort. One young man was the party poet. He hit us all off sooner or later. I have the ode he wrote to me, but modesty forbids that I give it. The poet, having pocketed his pad and pencil, and the amateur photographers having put up their cameras, the order to start was given. The dishes were piled back in the crates and strapped to the pack-horses. The ruin of the ham was wrapped up and tied on somewhere. Dark glasses were adjusted against the glare, and we were off. Sometimes our destination towered directly overhead, up a switchback of a trail where it was necessary to divide the party into groups, so that no stone dislodged by a horse need fall on someone below. Always at the head, riding calmly, with keen blue eyes, that are like the eyes of aviators and sailors, in that they seem to look through long distances, was Howard Eaton. Every step of the trail he tested first, he and his big horse. And I dare say many a time, he drew a breath of relief when the last timid woman had reached a summit, or descended a slope, or forded a river, and nothing untoward had happened. There were days when we reached our camping places by mid-afternoon. Then the anglers got their rods and started out for trout. There were baths to be taken in sunny pools that looked warm and were icy cold. There were rents and riding clothes to be mended. Even, whisper it, a little laundry work to be done now and then by women, some of them accustomed to the ministrations of a lady's maid at home. And there was supper and the campfire. Charlie Russell, the cowboy artist, was the campfire star. To repeat one of his stories would be desecration. No one but Charlie Russell himself, speaking through his nose, with his magnificent head outlined against the firelight, will ever be able to tell one of his stories. There were other good storytellers in the party, and Howard Eaton himself could match them all. A hundred miles from a railroad, we gathered around the campfire in the evening in a great circle. There were, you will remember, forty-two of us, no mean gathering. The pine and balsam crackled and burned, and overhead, often rising in straight walls around us for thousands of feet, were the snow-capped peaks of the Continental Divide. Little by little the circle would grow smaller, until at last only a dozen choice spirits remained for a midnight debauch of anecdote. I have said that the horses ranged wide at night. Occasionally they stayed about the camp. There was one big horse that was belled at night. Now and then, toward dawn, he brought his ungainly body, his tinkling bell, and his satellites, the other horses, into the quiet streets of Teepee Town. More than once I have seen an irate female clad in pajamas and slippers with flying braids shooing the horses away from her tent in the gray, cold dawn, and flinging after them things for which she vainly searched the next morning. End of chapter 4